The scripture reading for today is from Luke 6. It can be found beginning on page 9 in the bulletin and will also be projected above. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Crosby. Okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids Bulletin. Uh, you can grab that now. And there's a spot on there to write down three things that I'm going to mention specifically. And so I want you to find that place, and here's, here are the things to listen for. Uh, one is a Scrooge McDuck. Uh, secondly, a line from Come Ye Sinners. And then thirdly, uh, serving tea. So uh, Scrooge McDuck, Come Ye Sinners, and serving tea. So with that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we look to God's word together. Father, we uh, ask now uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is absolutely true. We thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us in love because you love us, because you have desired to reveal yourself to us and so, Father, we ask today that your spirit would work with your word to enable us ultimately to see Jesus, to behold him, uh, to trust him, to love him, to know him, and that we would experience even his love for us today. We pray this all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Um, quite a few years ago, uh, when we were still living in Indiana, uh, the Steve Jobs biography came out, the Walter Isaacson one, and I read that, uh, loved it, actually. Um, one of the, the most interesting parts in the book to me, though, um, has to do with uh, the, the way in which he thought about money. And uh, so here's a quote. This is uh, actually a quote from Steve Jobs himself. He says this, I never worried about money. I grew up in a middle-class family, so I never thought I would starve. And I learned, at, I learned at Atari, the video game company, I learned at Atari that I could be an okay engineer, so I always knew I could get by. I was voluntarily poor when I was in college in India, and I lived a pretty simple life when I was working. So I went from being fairly poor, which was wonderful, because I didn't have to worry about money, to being incredibly rich when I also didn't have to worry about money. And um, I remember reading that for the first time and feeling this sense of like legitimate envy <laughs> arise up within. <laughs> because I thought to, to, to not have to worry about money Sounds so incredible. <laughs> and um, I think that's actually true for most of us. And I think most of us would probably say, I don't even need like Steve Jobs level money for that, right? Or uh, for you kids, I don't even need like Scrooge McDuck level money to feel that way. If I could just make enough to where I could live comfortably and maybe not feel this like constant sense of financial pressure that, that, that's always present. If I had those things, then I think I would be okay. And I think um, part of the reason that, that, that we want that so badly, 
and that that is so appealing, is that there is something within us that hates to feel a sense of need. And I think our, 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 finance, our finances are, are a place where you can kind of constantly feel that place of need. And so if somebody were to ask you, um, it, it may be a real theoretical question of like, what do you desire most? What is like the, the, the vision of the good life to you? Then my guess is a, a part of that answer would probably be, well, not having any real needs financially. That would probably be a part of it. And so there is this part of us that doesn't want to feel that need. Here's the danger with that, though. What Jesus says in this passage, and actually in a number of other passages, is that it's those who are in need and recognize that need are the ones who are blessed. And conversely, those who think they already have everything they need, that they're fully and sufficiently provided for, can actually end up in a really dangerous place, particularly when it comes to our finances and material wealth. Why is that? Well, it's because, and we'll see this as we look at this passage, because wealth and power are things that can lull us into thinking that ultimately we don't really need Jesus. Because what money and, and success and connections and power can get you end up looking a lot of like things that, that we would otherwise be looking to the Lord for. And, and so in this section of Luke, what, what, what Jesus does is he maps out these two different ways of life. And so um, some of the, the earliest Christian literature after the scriptures, there, there was this uh, document called the Didache. We don't know who the author was. It could have been multiple people. was written around uh, the, the year AD 100. And it says this about this passage. There are two ways. One of life and one of death, between the two ways, there is a great difference. And so what I want to do as we enter into this, this Sermon on the Plain is to look at these two ways, the way of blessing and the way of woe. So a quick word here on, uh, on context. So th this is the, uh, the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Andy mentioned this last week. Um, we are probably more familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, which is what Jesus gives in Matthew 5 through 7. So Luke says that this is actually a sermon on the plain, and it's because in verse 17 he says that, that Jesus comes down from the mountain after, having, uh, after praying to God and choosing the 12 apostles, and he comes down to a level place. And so it's likely that these are the same uh, two sermons related uh, somehow, and it could even be, some scholars think, that Jesus was standing on a level place, like on a ledge on the side of the mountain when speaking this. But here, here's what he's talking about. In this sermon... He's describing what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And there are a whole lot of things in here that are meant to be shocking to us. And it's because the, the, the kind of kingdom that he describes here is so different from anything that, what, what, from anything that we would expect. It's this, uh, it's this kingdom that has a, a radically different set of values. It's got a radically different set of priorities. And it, it's, it's so different from the values and the priorities that we're used to. And so some have actually called the kingdom of God in the Bible uh, as a, uh, to be an upside-down kingdom because everything about it runs so contrary to what you'd expect. And so you, you see that throughout the Sermon on the Plain uh, as a whole, but you really see it in these beatitudes, in these blessings and woes. And they set the tone for the rest of this sermon. And so here's what I want us to see today. It's that the kingdom of God belongs to those who know their need. 
The kingdom of God belongs to those who know their need. So let's look at both of, uh, both of these ways. So first, the, uh, the way of blessing. And so if you look back at the passage, uh, Jesus mentions four different groups of people. And these are the four groups of people that he describes as blessed. He mentions the poor, those who are hungry now, uh, those who weep now, and then those who are hated and excluded. And this is really important. They're hated and excluded because of their association with Jesus. And uh, here's the thing about this passage. I think this is one of the, the real challenges and one of, I would even say, the dangers of this passage is to hear Jesus talk about these four groups of people and to, to immediately spiritualize them. Here's what I mean when I say spiritualizing them. To spiritualize this passage would be to say, well, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, what he really means is blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's really talking about here is, is about a person's heart disposition. Or, for example, when he's talking about those who are hungry, what he's really talking about is this sort of figurative hunger that we have that, that can only be satisfied in this figurative fullness of life that he's promising. So that, that's what it looks like to, to spiritualize these beatitudes. And I think there, there are a few reasons that we do that. Um, one is that this actually is the way Jesus talks about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So Jesus actually does say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are, the poor who, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we're so used to that that it's easy to assume, well, that's got to be what Luke is talking about as well in this passage. So that's one reason. I think a second reason we do this is because it is really hard for us to identify with Jesus' words if he's talking about the literal poor. In other words, uh, it, it, there's not the same obvious application to us if we are talking about people who are literally poor, who are literally hungry, who are literally weeping and literally hated. And so we, we kind of come to this passage and aren't quite sure what to do with it, and so we, we're tempted to spiritualize. Here's the main reason, though, that I, that I think we do this. It's that it is so counterintuitive. It is so upside down to say that the literal poor and the literal hungry are blessed. And because that's so counterintuitive and it, it so goes against what we think, that we feel like we've got to qualify it in some way. And, and, and so, so let, let me say this. If you're feeling some kind of discomfort, like, wait, what is Jesus saying here? Then you're actually hearing him rightly. <laughs> because that's the way the, the, the original audience would have heard this, and it's the way we need to hear this too. So the first thing to recognize here is that when Jesus says poor, what he means is poor. <laughs> he means the literal poor. And that's not to say that, that there isn't a, a, a spiritual component to this. There is. Uh, it, it's really important to see that, that he's talking to disciples, He's talking to those who are looking to the Lord in the midst of their literal poverty. But the poor that he's talking about here are, are, are literally those who don't have the money that they need. They're the people who really are struggling to get by. They don't have the resources they need to make ends meet. And in some cases also are those who are literally hungry. And what comes with this, uh, this poverty is also a, 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 a lack of social status and influence. And so what ends up happening oftentimes to the poor, the literal poor, is that they are the invisible. They're the ones who are forgotten. They're the ones who are ignored. 
They're the ones who often uh, get railroaded and taken advantage of by those who have resources. Uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff uh, is a, a philosopher who writes some about justice generally, and he writes a lot about what the Old Testament means by that. And he, he, he describes this group of people as the quartet of the vulnerable. And it's these four groups that you see over and over again in the Old Testament. The widow, the orphan, the stranger, or, or we might say the immigrant, and the poor. These are the people that Jesus is speaking to and saying, you are blessed. Verse 21, though, he also mentions those who weep. And, and the, the weeping that, that uh, Jesus might have in mind here may be the sort of uh, repentant weeping and brokenness over a deep knowledge of your sin. But it might also be the kind of weeping that comes about from living in this sad and broken world where you are overcome by sorrow and grief. Because, as we sang in, in Come Ye Sinners, because we are those who are bruised and broken by the fall. Blessed are those who weep. That's who Jesus is talking about. And then finally, he mentions this fourth group in verse 22. Look back there. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And so he, he, he's, uh, he's talking here about people who are suffering socially because of their association with Jesus. And, and this is not something that's unique to the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus actually says this kind of thing all over the Gospels. Let me give you just um, a couple examples. This is from John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Later on he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And uh, if you read the whole of the New Testament, you find out that this is exactly what happened to the 12 apostles. And it's also exactly what happened to, to Paul as well. And I know that, that um, living in the, the time and even the, uh, the, the place in the world that we do, it's obvious that we don't feel this as intensely as God's people have throughout history. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. Uh, he's a Pauline scholar. And uh, he, he says this. He said, wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot because he's proclaiming the gospel. Wherever I go, they serve tea. I think it's great because that gets at sort of the, the different cultural context here. Here's the thing, though. I know there are some of you, though, who, who have lost relationships because of your commitment to Jesus. Because when, when you put your faith in Jesus, it radically changed some relationships that you had with people who were closest to you. With friends, I know for some of you, um, your faith in Jesus has introduced this divide into the life of your family that feels really, really tough. Others of you have experienced very real exclusion because of your association with Jesus. And it may even be that, that, that some of you have been called evil by some only because of your commitment to Jesus' words. And that, that might be particularly the case on, on really sensitive things like matters of sexuality or gender. You might even be called evil for that. And Jesus is saying, is that if you find yourself in any of, uh, of these four groups as one of his disciples, then you are blessed. Even though it seems like the exact opposite is true. Okay, so here's the question. Why in the world would he say that? 
Why would Jesus call them blessed? Here's the thing. It is not because being poor or hungry or sad or hated are good things in and of themselves. And this is really important to hear. Um, Jesus is not setting these forth as virtues that we should pursue. Neither is he saying something like, um, this is what you need to become or do in order to earn entrance into the kingdom of God or something like that. That's not what he's saying. So, okay, so what is he saying? He is saying that these people, these groups of people are blessed because they are those who recognize their need. And it's not even just that they recognize their need. Remember, he's talking to disciples here. He's saying they're blessed because in the midst of their need, they are looking to Jesus. And it happens to be because of their situation that they don't have anywhere else to turn. There is a desperation to the poverty, to the hunger, to the sadness, to the hatred that they're experiencing. And man, when, when you are in a place of that kind of desperation, where you come to a place where you realize like, you cannot fix what is broken in your life, then it's a whole lot easier to recognize that you can turn to Jesus and to him alone. And that's what you see happening over and over in the Gospels, that the, the people that are most drawn to Jesus are those who know their need. And this is a, a, a specifically significant event or a theme in, in Luke's gospel. And so uh, Jesus' first real sermon in Luke is back in the synagogue in, chap, in Luke chapter four. And so he's speaking in the synagogue. Somebody hands him this scroll from Isaiah 61, from Isaiah. He unrolls it to Isaiah 61, and this is what we uh, just read earlier, and he says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, all those people mentioned there are people who are in desperate need and they know it. And so he rolls that scroll back up and hands it back to the person and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you see that over and over again in the Gospels. You see this compassion that Jesus has for people who are hurting. For those who are forgotten, for those who are, are, are in need, and those who are neglected, those who are broken. See, the, the, the Gospel of the Kingdom is such good news to people who have not had any good news for a really long time. Jesus is coming to these groups of people and he's saying, I know things are hard. I know they, things are unbelievably difficult right now and you are hurting so badly. But here's the good news that I came to bring. The kingdom of God belongs to you. And that kingdom is available to you right now because I'm here. And there's actually a day coming when you're gonna be so satisfied, you're gonna experience the, 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 the laughter and the joy that I alone can bring. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is similar to what Paul says in Romans 8 where he says that, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is gonna be revealed to us. And here's what's, what, uh, what's so beautiful about this. Jesus is saying you can actually begin to experience that future joy right now. Why? Well, because he's here right now. And so when you, you, you look to him, from this, in a place of need, from a place of desperation, 
you end up finding him to be the one who can provide for you like nobody and nothing else can. And you are blessed in that place. That's the way of blessing. It's the way of looking to Jesus in the midst of your need. But he mentions this other way, this other path as well. And so he gives this, uh, this set of warnings. And, and if you notice, each of these warnings or woes corresponds to one of the blessings. Uh, so secondly, the way of woe. So who are those being warned? So four different groups. Look at verse 24. The rich, first of all. Um, I, now, I think on the one hand, um, that group is probably pretty self-explanatory to us. Jesus is talking here about people of means um, who have some degree of, of power and of privilege. And because of that, they, they probably live relatively comfortable lives. Here's the thing about this, though. It's probably tempting for us to read that and think, yeah, like Steve Jobs, right? Yeah, like, like Scrooge McDuck or something like that, right? When in fact, uh, Jesus is talking about you and he's talking about me. Because by, by any metric, um, living in this country, in this part of the world, in, in this century, we are the wealthy. We are the rich. Every one of us. That's who Jesus is talking about in this first group. Verse 25, he mentions those who are full now. And this stands in stark contrast to those who are hungry. So these are people that, that literally have food to eat, whose bellies are full, but who also have everything they think they could possibly need. They are full now. Look at the, uh, the second half of verse 25. This one, um, maybe this group is not so obvious. Jesus says, woe to you who laugh now. Like, okay, like, what, what does that mean? That, that seems a little weird to, to, to pronounce this woe on those who laugh, especially when Jesus is one who has said he's bringing joy, right? So what does he mean here? Well, the, the, this can refer to a good laughter, the kind of laughter and joy that we, we think about. Um, but there's also this kind of laughter that is not a laughter of joy, but it's a laughter of, of prideful scoffing and mocking and derision, and so here's how one commentator puts it. It refers to the condescending, boastful, or mocking laughter of the callous, complacent rich who care little for others or for God. That's who Jesus is warning about, or the, the, uh, who Jesus is warning. And then finally, verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. And man, like, this one hits home, Right? And again, this is not to say that it's inherently bad for people to speak well of you, but here's the reality. If all people only and ever speak well of you, then it's pretty likely that you're a person who is telling people a lot of what they want to hear and avoiding a lot of what they don't want to hear. It's quite possible that you're one who, who probably feels comfortable with bending the truth or at least massaging it just a little bit. Because you know what people want to hear and, and you know how to, to, to manipulate people in just the right way. And this could also mean that you're compromising some part of your identity, your, of your uh, being identified with Jesus. And what Jesus says is woe to you. Because that's exactly what happened for the Old Testament false prophets. People thought well of them. Okay, why are these people being warned? Well, here's one thing we've, we've got to understand. It's not because these things are bad in and of themselves. 
These are, are, are good things when rightly used. So money and wealth are gifts from the Lord. And, and I think this is really important for us to hear. Um, there are examples all over the Bible uh, of people who were extremely wealthy. Abraham, uh, David, Solomon, Job, all very wealthy. Ecclesiastes actually says that we're to enjoy the wealth God has given to us. Uh, the Proverbs says, Proverbs says that uh, over and over again. Uh, the, the same thing is true for this fullness and this laughter. Those are great things. And, and even spe- uh, people speaking well of you is a great thing too. Paul uh, in 1 Timothy 3 actually says that one of the requirements for elders and pastors is that they be thought well of by outsiders. Okay, so, so uh, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. What's the danger then? The danger is that those things are all things that can lull you into thinking that you don't really need Jesus. Because all of those things are, are, can be things that, that, that we look to instead of Jesus. And that's what the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry is, is looking to someone or something other than the Lord to provide for you what only he ultimately can. It's raising a, a good created thing like wealth or, uh, or, or um, fullness or laughter or joy up to an ultimate level where it was never meant to be. And so Jesus is saying, beware of your wealth and your social status because what that can do is lull you into thinking that you don't have a desperate need for me. And the really sobering thing about this is what he says about the end of this way of woe, of this uh, perpetual, lifelong, continual rejection of him. And it's an eternal hunger. It's an eternal mourning. It's an eternal weeping in a place of judgment. That's the warning. And so the question is, what do we, uh, what do, we do with this? I think uh, three things that I want to leave us with. Um, and the first is this. We have got to heed the Bible's warning about wealth. And I'll, um, I'll just tell you, uh, one of my temptations as your pastor is, uh, is to want to immediately dis- diffuse the, the discomfort every single one of us is feeling right now. Uh, it's to try to downplay it in some way. To try to explain it away. That would not be good, loving, or honest for me to do. We need to hear and heed this warning. So how could we do that uh, practically? Uh, a couple things. Um, one is this. We've got to recognize that the area of wealth and our material possessions is a blind spot for us. Because I think every one of us would probably say something like, I don't think I've got a problem with money, right? Like, I just want to be comfortable. I want to be able to provide for those that I'm responsible for. I want to have enough. I give a lot of it away, Right? Uh, Tim Keller tells this story uh, when he was teaching a, a series of um, men's breakfasts on the seven deadly sins. And so his wife, Kathy, uh, asked him if he was going to announce the topics before uh, they, they had them. He said, yeah, he was going to do that. She said, people aren't going to show up when you talk about greed. And, uh, and so sure enough, uh, it was packed out for wrath, packed out for lust, packed out for pride. By far, the lowest attended week was that on greed. Why? Well, because none of us thinks it applies to us. None of us thinks that we really have a problem with money. And so part of what we need to do is actually assume that we are blind to our greed. And so very practically, here's what I suggest for us. Um, One, we need to individually reflect some on this before the Lord. 
But secondly, um, we need to find other people, a trusted other person, whether that's a roommate, your spouse, a friend maybe that, 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 that you're close to, uh, somebody within your community group, even um, one, your, your elder, uh, to talk about whether they see this in your life because we're really good at not seeing it. So um, that's the first thing that, that we need to do is to hear and heed this warning and recognize that that's at work in our hearts. Here's the second thing. Uh, we need to cultivate an awareness of our need of Jesus. And uh, there are lots of ways that we can do that. But one of the ways I want to suggest is a, a practice by, by doing a, a regular practice of confession of sin. And we do that every week together here. Incredibly important for us to do. Um, I would encourage you, though, especially during the season of Lent, to grab one of these prayer guides, or there's another one out there with the book, based on the Book of Common Prayer, and to make daily confession of sin a regular practice for you. Why? So that you can grovel before the Lord? No. Because what that does is it reminds you over and over again of your desperate need of Jesus. It cultivates that awareness in you. Thirdly and finally, we've got to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Um, One of the most beautiful things about this passage is that these beatitudes are beautifully embodied in Jesus himself. Let me read this quote from Arthur Just. This is in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Luke's hearers then and now should see beyond themselves to the one who was poor for them, who hungered in the wilderness for them, who wept for them as he entered Jerusalem, who received hate, insults, and exclusions for them, and who was cast out and crucified outside Jerusalem as evil, the Son of Man. See, the the beautiful message of this good news of the kingdom is that this is what Jesus has done for you. And he did this not just to forgive you and me for our idolatry of our possessions and our lack of awareness of our need. He actually did this for you to bring you into his kingdom in order to, to satisfy you, to give you the fullness of life that he alone can provide and actually to give you a lasting joy. And the, the, the wonderful thing about this is that that kingdom is open to any and to all who would recognize their need, who would recognize their need and put their faith and trust in Jesus. That is what he offers to you, is life in the fullness of his kingdom. And that is the life and the path to true life. Will you receive him? You pray for us. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who has met our need in every way. And Lord, we know you did not have to do that. It is because of your grace and your mercy that you have sent your son for us. And so Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. And we ask that, that you by your spirit would enable us to turn to you, to find our life in you, to continue to find our salvation in you and in you alone. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.